Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, a great follow all season long at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. We thank Rotowire for their support all season long, as well as our sponsors who have been with us at FanDuel and DraftKings. And uh, we're looking forward today to reviewing the first round of the NHL playoffs and previewing the second round. And my partner, AJ, is on board. He and I are both suffering the aftermath of grueling seven game seven defeats for our favorite clubs. AJ, your impressions of the first round and overview is what I'm looking for here before we dive into each series. I mean, you talk about parity in the league, right? You've got... Uh, five game sevens, two game sixes, and then you know Colorado did did their thing. But uh, other than that, you know, it's just like I said, really impressive to see how evenly matched everybody is, and, and speaks to uh, like I said, the parity around the league. I think it was uh, you know a good um, good first round overall, really exciting. And you know, I had a couple people I've seen tweet it or say it. You know, game seven in the uh, the NHL is is better than game seven in the NBA. And I think we uh, really uh, saw that uh, saw that on display. Yeah, there were five games that went to game seven, four home teams winning them. The only team that didn't was my own favorite. And that's something that I have to chew on for a while still. <laughs> but uh, you're right. The, there were there was a lot of evenly matched clubs. 13 teams made it to the 100-point mark on the season. And we saw more of that parity in the first round, the exception of the walkover by Colorado in their series. So, AJ, let's get into the first round series, reviewing them all, and uh, touch on the top performers, maybe some of the disappointments or surprises com- contributions in each of those cases before we dive into a second round preview. So uh, with that, we start with our look at the uh, lopsided series of, among them all. That was Colorado versus Nashville. Regular season series, Nashville had a 3-1 edge, so some people thought maybe they'd give them a tough fight, but it was pretty much a walkover, wasn't it, pal? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally didn't see how any other outcome was was going to happen here. You had Soros hurt. Um, you know, Riddich underwhelmed, uh, Connor Ingram comes up and, and actually looked okay, all things considered. Um, but this Colorado team is just so good. Um, you know, and I, I just didn't expect it to go longer and, and it certainly didn't, you know, Kel McCarr ridiculously among like top five in points, uh, despite only playing in four games, you know, McDavid has 14 in, in seven games. McCarr has 10 and four. So, uh, yeah, just a fantastic start for him to, to the postseason. And, uh, yeah, they really walked all over Nashville here. And I, I expected nothing less. Yeah, you mentioned that the, they could have hung on, uh, made it competitive if they had their starting goalie in the Nets. You would have thought maybe Soros could have made a difference. But he can't score goals, and uh, neither can either other goalies. And so they were limited to only nine goals for in their series. They gave up 21. So that was kind of a telltale sign. But kudos for Nashville for their pretty strong regular season, I'll say, AJ. And uh, a couple of the guys that we've maligned all season long, they managed to have 
good regular season than Matt Duchesne continued with the playoff with three goals and one helper to lead the club. Jakob Trenin with three goals. But beyond that, they were wanting for offense. And on the other side, of course, there was a pile of offense from the expected names that we've talked about all season long. Makar, you mentioned Nate McKinnon with five goals in the six, four games. Landis Gog showed up. Brantonen showed up. Devin Taves is a guy that we've talked a lot about in the last half of this season. And he picked up his offense. He's kind of like Kale McCarr light, AJ. So it gives him a really nice second weapon on the blue line that we should really start talking about more and more. And uh, the depth scoring chipped in. So really, this team is loaded for bear. No surprise going forward that they should be favored in every series that they're in in, in the rest of this postseason, I would say. And uh, next series, AJ, go a little d- deeper dive in Minnesota and St. Louis because we were on opposite sides of this. And I had St. Louis winning in six. That's actually the... the outcome i'll give you credit for you got the sweep right in the first series i thought it was being longer but that was based on my i don't know what you were watching that you thought that that series was going to go six games paul that 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 might be one of your worst takes in the history of our show that you thought that was going to be a six game series only because only because i thought saros was going to be healthy and he might steal one or two that's the only thing but once he was on the sideline i thought no way they could put both the other goalies in and and i would have been in your camp too but i had to stick with my original call based on thinking saros would show up however in st louis's series against minnesota we were on opposite sides one of the few series were on opposite sides and uh, and uh, i got this one right st louis in six minnesota you had them in five both had them in quick series really but uh Give St. Louis credit. They found the goaltending solution in Jordan Bennington. He turned back the clock to what he was a couple of years ago, and he was a, a difference maker on uh, in this series from my perspective. That was one of the big edges. But I'll give you a chance to break, out, break down this series first because uh, I went kind of deep in the last one. Yeah, I mean, the goaltending is, is obviously the story here. They went with Flurry for the first, uh, first five games, Minnesota, that mm-hmm. is. Uh, numbers weren't great. 906 save percentage, 3.04 is the goals against average. Decided to switch to Talbot in that last game. And it, it was a disappointing outing. I mean, four goals allowed on 26 shots. That's uh, less than eight, you know, eight and a half on, on the save percentage there. But how do you blame the guy, right? You've been sitting for a week and a half now or, or whatever that was. So hard to really put a ton of blame on him. And then on the opposite side, as you said, Bennington comes in uh, in relief there, so to speak. Uh, you know, Philly Huso doesn't really do much in the opening series. They're down 2-1. Um, and then Bennington comes in, wins the next three. 1.67 was the goals against average. Just downright dominates, uh, to, to be frank with it. So I think the goalies were, you know, the, the story of this one. Obviously, Kirill Kaprasov had himself a solid series, seven goals in those six games. Joel Erickson-Eck picking up five. Um, so they've got some things to feel really good about, um, you know, in Minnesota, some some things to build on. For the Blues, uh, you know, we'll go more in, in depth as to what the next round looks like. But for this one, David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly leading the way with nine and eight points respectively. Um, but again, I, I think for me, it's going to come down to the the goalies uh, really were what decided this matchup. Uh, they didn't get enough out of Flurry, and Bennington came in and, and looked like the you know Stanley Cup winning version of himself. Yeah, you touched on you touched on the goal scoring thing, 
And sorry about that. You touched on the goal scoring thing, AJ, and really on both sides of it, it was very concentrated. And so that, that was a bit of a surprise to me. On the St. Louis side, of course, their depth guys carried the, the mail. When you consider Perron, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko, they're, they're front liners on any team. They each got five goals in this series. But they're, they weren't guys that, uh, that dominated in the regular season. They turned it up in the postseason. Jordan Cairo added three more. And then beyond that, you were looking at a goal here, a goal there. And then on the flip side, Minnesota, you touched on two of their big scorers led the way there. So the concentration of the scoring was very limited on both sides, I would say. And that was, that was something that we might have expected. But uh, over six games, I'm kind of surprised still that, uh, the, that not too many other guys chipped in with more than one goal for each side. And uh, a testament to how physically this, this series was played, how hotly contested it was in the six games. But uh, you, you got to look at some of the star performers here that really lit it up. Kaprizov, you mentioned seven goals. And I mentioned the three guys on St. Louis with five each. But uh, big drop-off on both sides. They're, they're, you think that St. Louis has to get more depth scoring to be a factor in their next series. They're in tough, though, against Colorado. AJ, next up, we take a look at uh, the Calgary Flames and the series that they had against Dallas. It went the distance. Uh, Jake Ottinger, really, it was his coming out party, AJ. The reason that this thing extended that far, in my opinion, was his name being front and center in the, the performances that he gave Game in, game out. You and I thought this was going to be a fairly quick series, but it went the distance and largely on his shoulders. But what else did you see from Dallas, and what are your observations from the Calgary Flames in this set? I mean, not not to just keep belaboring the point, but um, you know, this goaltending here, big big factor. Um, I, you know, I'll start with the Dallas offense. We mentioned, you know, Minnesota had Kaprasov with with seven goals. Um, and, and on the other side, uh, the Blues had three guys with five goals. The best that Dallas could muster was Joe Pavelski picked up three in this one. Now, they had a little bit more depth out of there. You know, Robinson, Hintz, Sagan, Heiskanen, they, they all scored. Um, obviously, you know, Jamie Benn, again, two points in seven games, like not good enough, as, as we've said for a while. John Klingberg, one assist over seven games. Uh, definitely not good enough. Alexander Radulov only played in three of them. Uh, so really kind of disappointing on that side. But to get to to Calgary, you know, you look at Markstrom's numbers, 943, the save percentage, 1.53, the goals against average. Those are numbers you would expect like a goaltender had to have, you know, sweep or five, right? That's like yeah. a five game, uh, you know, numbers. Those aren't the type of numbers that you would expect from a guy that had to play a full seven games. And to your point, it's because Ottinger on the other side, 954 was his save percentage, 1.81 was his goals against average. Those are numbers for a goalie that should have won, obviously. Um, so I, th- you know, I think his teammates kind of hung him out to dry in terms of offensive production. Calgary did enough um, to, to get through there. They were obviously led um, by Johnny Gaudreau as, as they normally are, but even there, you know, Lindholm and Backlund led the way with three goals apiece. They're going to need more offense. Again, we'll talk about them more uh, down the road, but they need a little bit more offense, maybe. <laughs> but Marsham, really uh, a, a goalie battle that Ottinger just unfortunately uh, ran into a guy playing, you know, really some of the best hockey of his career right now. Yeah, you look at the goals scored in this series and 
Seven games played, a total of 29 goals in the series, 15 by Calgary, 14 by by uh, Dallas. So uh, razor thin was the difference between the two teams over the seven-game set. And you know what? Uh, Jamie Benn did score the go-ahead goal in game one. You would have thought he didn't have a great series, but he was poised to be the hero early on until Calgary came back. And, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, eight points in, in the set. When you consider that there were only 14, 15 goals scored, he was in on more than half of them. So that tells you just how much they leaned on that top line. And again, uh, teams that are going to go far, they're going to have to get more depth scoring. So that's something as Calgary gets ready for their next set and hopeful of a longer run. They've got to be concerned about the fact that they didn't get much from their depth players, but at least their signature guy uh, helped lead the way. And you can give credit to uh, all three of the top guys on that line. They each got at least five points in the series, but uh, I think they got to have more from that second unit. Tyler Toffoli got only one goal in this series. Milan Lucic, one assist. Andrew Mangiapane, only one goal. They've got to do better. And uh, I, I'll be surprised if they don't against a more wide-open defensive structure that they'll face in the next round. The next set that we're going to look at, AJ, is the first set on the uh, other side. Uh, sorry, we're going to do with Edmonton Oilers against Los Angeles Kings. And uh, during the regular season, the Oilers had their hands full with Los Angeles. And I thought they would, again, in the postseason, you have, thought they'd have an easier time. Uh, the result was actually another game, seven-game series. And uh, Connor McDavid warmed up to this occasion big time, in my opinion. But, again, I want to defer to you and have you observe what you thought of this series from both sides. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get uh fantastic production out of, out of McDavid. I, I mentioned it off the top that, you know, leading, uh, leading the league right now with, with 14 postseason points, um, Leon Dreisaitl top 10 as well with nine, uh, despite, you know, some ankle issues that, that he de- seems to be dealing with um, the team, Overall, in terms of, you know, the, the power play percentage is pretty solid there. Uh, comes in second in the postseason right now at 36.8. Uh, penalty kill numbers are decently good as well at 87.5. So special teams are definitely a big factor for Edmonton. Uh, you know, and we, we for this team, like you don't need fantastic goaltending. You just need good enough goaltending with the amount of offense they can they can put up there. Um, so you kind of just hope for the, hope for the best there that, that you get what, uh, you know, Mike Smith gives you enough. That's really what it comes down to. Um, and I think overall they got that eventually um, for the Kings. Uh, unfortunate that, that they uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't make it through. They definitely made it a series. Um, I, you know, I think that they had a chance uh, obviously to, to get there. Quick uh, took all of the starts for them. Uh, Nine oh four was the save percentage. You know, Cal Patterson came in in relief in just one game. I was a little surprised that they didn't try something different there and, and go with Patterson for for a start here. But you know, Jonathan Quick is the guy with the, the Stanley Cup ring. So um, you know, and and I think that's similar to what we saw in Minnesota. They deferred to Flurry because he's got you know, championships under his belt and, and maybe they should have gone to Talbot sooner. Um, and here in, in LA, maybe they should have looked at Cal Pedersen and, and kind of put the, the past in the past here. Yeah. And uh, we, we want to spend some time talking about Mike Smith too, AJ, because he was maligned by both of us for, 
maybe the last couple of seasons in Edmonton. And will continue to be as long as he is in the league. the goals against though and the save percentage is 938 those are outstanding numbers and uh, he allowed 16 goals over the seven games played so he certainly did his part and more than I expected and I did if he didn't come up that big I don't think Edmonton wins this series I'll say that they did wipe the floor with with LA in a couple of games they outscored them by 10 goals in the series but there were a number of games that were up for grabs and certainly Mike Smith was the difference in in a, a number of the wins that they did achieve in those circumstances as well. So uh, Edmonton, they ride the coattails of their team leader, McDavid, and uh, they got a very nice performance out of Vander Kane. This this guy is in a prove-it situation, AJ. You wonder what his future uh, looks like in this league, but he certainly did, did himself a real good service by performing as well as he did in that first round. And he goes hand-in-glove with Dreisaitl and McDavid as the top three offensive pieces here but they did get some depth scoring you know unlike another bunch of lineups that we've talked about there there were not too many other players that got more than one goal but let's credit Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman for five points and four points respectively each with a couple of goals as well so the the options were a little bit greater in Edmonton than we've seen in some of the other teams and they rode the strength of this club which is the high octane offense and the big names to this ultimate success in the series and I don't know if anybody can't be excited about the next matchup against Edmonton, between Edmonton and Calgary. The Battle of Re- Alberta is rejoined. It'll be hotly contested, and I don't think it's going to be a short series. And uh, as long as Mike Smith, though, answers the bell, that gives Edmonton, I think, their best chance to compete in round two, and we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, the Oiler offense carried them, and uh, on- Connor McDavid looks honestly like a man possessed in these playoffs, and uh, can't wait to see what he brings to the table in the next round. But L.A. kind of did what they, we thought they would do. They, they would check, check, check. Uh, Philip Deneau playing a strong two-way game. Ditto Anse Kopitar. But it was a coming-out party for Trevor Moore and Adrian Kempe, who actually led this team in their offense with f- five and six points, respectively. So there is some, some positive to take away for this team because they added some nice pieces offensively. And I think the future is a little brighter than uh, than I would have thought at the beginning of the season for this club. They've started a really good transition, and uh, their veterans are still participating in this this group. Anze Kopitar, a lot of mileage left, and and I hope they get Drew Doughty back next year for uh, that added look that he would give them on the blue line. But Jonathan Quick turned back the clock and did his thing, and uh, although he was shelled in a couple of games, I thought he represented very well at, uh, in addition. Let's turn our attention to the other side, uh, AJ, the Eastern Conference, and uh, we'll begin with a look at the Florida series against Washington. Uh, look, you and I both thought that it was going to be a short series. Washington extended it a little bit longer, but we got it all right at the end of the day. All of us were on the, both of us were on the Florida side of this equation. It was a series where it pitted two teams that would score uh, almost the same in terms of uh the regular season campaign so there wasn't much to choose from and I thought the playoff pedigree of the, the Caps would keep it close but Florida was something of a juggernaut AJ and uh, they looked to be a real tough out going forward. For me the story of this one is one goal. Alexander Ovechkin had one goal in seven games. Now he certainly helped uh, helped his teammates five assists that's just not generally been his game uh, you know, he's he is a goal scorer. It's why he's got a chance to to catch Gretzky. Um, and so while the assists are great, if you're going to get past the teams, any team in the postseason, you know, they, they need him scoring more goals. 
TJ Oshie had a fantastic playoff uh, for his part with seven goals there. If there's a concern and a reason they didn't make it beyond that is that four of those six goals came on the power play. Uh, in fact, six of their team total goals came with the man advantage. So pretty heavily skewed towards having that extra attacker. And I think that's ultimately what most led to their downfall here. On the other side for the Panthers, Carter Verhage, uh playing you know next level right now in terms of, of where he's at and not a guy that you necessarily would expect to be second right uh, in the league in postseason points with 12. That's the kind of thing you need um, for, for Florida to, to obviously get past them. And so, um, yeah, I, I think they'll continue to do well. They've, they're such a deep team. You know, they, they may not have the flashiest third line uh, in the league, but their bottom line, the fact that you can scratch a guy like Joe Thornton, um, you know, Mason Marchman's going to miss the first game with an injury, and really it's not going to cause them much problem because Anthony Duclair is going to jump back into the lineup, and in fact it looks like even a second-line role. So they're, they're just such a deep team uh, that that I think that was the problem. They created matchup havoc. Yeah, you let TJ Oshie score, you pretty much bottle up Ovechkin, and, and that's all you really needed to do against this Caps team. And AJ, kudos to the Caps for their trade deadline move that brought in Claude Giroux. He was second on the club in scoring in these playoffs with seven points. Carter Verhage, 12 points lead all scorers in this round. Alex Barkov, point of game guy, six points. Aaron Ekblad looked like he didn't miss a beat after being injured late in the season and uh, recaptured his role as a linchpin on the back end with five points here. And, you know, this is this is a team that did it on the same recipe that they did in in, uh, previous seasons, uh, earlier this season, rather, with the performance that they got out of uh, all their players. The offense was what we expected it to be. And so no surprises there. And it really was too much for Washington to overcome. Although you have to give tip your hat to TJ Oshie. He's he's added another layer to his playoff resume with six goals to lead this offense. You mentioned Ovechkin struggled with only one uh, goal on 19 shots. But certainly Oshie did his share and then some. He had an injury play regular season but showed up as he always does in the postseason. And Nicholas Backstrom, I was glad to see him have a nice series too, AJ, because he had another injury-riddled season too. Six points for him. Kuznetsov with six, five points. Carlson with five points. So the big boys did play for Washington, but they just didn't have enough because uh, we're talking about uh, the highest octane offense on the other side uh, in Florida. The, the Panthers do did get a serviceable, bit, serviceable series out of Sergei Bobrovsky and the Nets. His goals against came in at a, under 280, save percentage over 90%. That's pretty much all he needs to do, though, AJ, in order to, to keep this team competitive. He doesn't have to play uh, at a 940 save percentage clip with, with the rest of this offense here. You look at the total series, though, and, and they only outscored Washington by uh, one goal in the, in the overall. So uh, a couple of breaks here and there. We could have been talking about a different outcome. But really and truly, I didn't think Florida was ever going to lose this series, even as it unfolded in the later stages. Did you? No, no. I mean, I, I thought eventually, you know, maybe they would force a, a game seven or something. Um, but, yeah, I I was surprised that they made it go as long as it did. Um, you know, I, I, I thought probably five games was where it would go. So kudos to them for getting that extra game. But, yeah, I did not at any point fear that the Panthers were going to drop that series. 
And then we come to one of the ones that hurt the most for me, the, the Leafs falling in seven games played. You know, when, when we previewed this series, we both knew it was going to go seven games. That's just what the Leafs do. And you had the right victor, though you had Tampa coming out on top. I was holding out hope that the Leafs would eke out the win on home ice. And uh, I told you off the year I was in attendance in Game 7. Very exciting atmosphere. But uh, the boys came up a little bit short against the two-time defending champions. I have a question for you, AJ. You, if you watched a bit of this series, I watched every second, of course. But do the Stanley Cup champs look a little vulnerable to you? Or do you think they, they uh, were just up there against a tough foe and it was a, a tough battle? I saw that there was missing links there, I thought. My, my takeaway from this for, for the Lightning is that they're a little tired. I mean, they've played more hockey than anybody else over the last couple of years with all the extra games with the postseason. Um, Vasilevsky, I think, showed it as well. Um, I, I think maybe if you were going to look at the regular season in hindsight, you maybe would have used Brian Elliott a little bit more to keep uh, Vasilevsky from, from playing too many games, although that is you know, obviously what he likes to do. He's a heavy, heavy game load kind of guy. Um, but I will say after that game six, starting you know, third period-ish game six, he looked great um, and maybe, you know, is getting back to that form, but we'll have to see. But that, that was my main takeaway is that they've kind of felt a little tired um, heading into the postseason. You know, I think it's why they finished third in the standings and ultimately, um, the, but they seem to have found another gear. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to take anything away from the Leafs. They have a ton of fantastic, you know, players on, on that roster, Um generated plenty of offense. They were never going to make it easy for Vasilevsky here uh, to, to win this one. So, um, you know, unfortunate that they have now lost 10 series clinching games in a row um, against a team that hasn't lost a series since getting swept by the Blue Jackets back in uh, 2019. So they've won nine series in a row. Leafs just continue to break hearts all over Ontario. Absolutely, my friend, and mine is still mending. But I have, to your point, I have no quarrel with the way that the top players on the least perform in this series. Austin Matthews with nine points, Mitch Marner with eight, Willie Nylander even with seven. He's been the subject of a lot of conjecture after the series was over. Is this his swan song in Toronto to get them some salary cap relief? If they do, they're selling high on one of their better players in the offseason. John Tavares started the series slowly, came up big in the last few games. Morgan Riley was a stud on back end with six points but for me it was the third line that was MIA Ilya McKay have got two goals they're both empty netters and uh, they didn't get anything from Andre Kasha Michael Bunting was a bit of a no-show Pierre Engvall so uh, they needed one goal or two goals from somebody else other than that top group but you look at the other side and you could say the same thing for Tampa they didn't get much at all from third and fourth line players until the last game Nick Paul got both goals for them but otherwise uh, the bulk of their offense they scored a total of 23 goals in this series. And there were six guys that participated with seven guys that got two goals. Six of them were the usual suspects. So again, they didn't get much from the likes of Brandon Hagel and Corey Perry got a couple of goals in the series, but uh, Anthony Sorelli only had one Pierre Mark Belmer got one. Uh, they did just enough to win. And so kudos to them for getting that done. But uh, interesting note for me, Steven Stankos for all his success, in the NHL, 
he's not scored a goal in game seven yet in his career is what I heard. And I was stunned by that. And uh, he only got two goals and two helpers and was a minus two on the series. I thought he was a guy that, that I was expecting more from him, but uh, I'll say this, the captains on both sides, uh, they, uh, they kind of negated one another. I thought that that would be a win for Toronto. If Tavares could keep close. In fact, he outscored Stanfos in this set, but Braden points health is, is a point of concern going forward. And, uh, We'll see if he can be healthy at the start of the next set. But he's another guy that's a big difference maker that Tampa's going to need more from if he's healthy going forward, AJ. Then we take a look at uh, two series in the Metro Division. First one, Carolina against Boston. Um, we we thought that it was be a, be a tough competitive series. You got this so going seven games. I had it going six. I had the right winning team in Columbus. Uh, Carolina, rather, and you had Boston winning in seven. It was a very hotly contested set, though, AJ. We could both agree to that. And one of the outcomes is that we're not sure what happens with Patrice Bergeron. I want to start there because one of the more notable players in the playoffs whose future is a little cloudy right now before we break down the series. What's your thought on what happens next for Patrice Bergeron? Yeah, I mean, the based on uh, his comments today as they're, uh, you know, cleaning out the locker room, um, undecided on whether or not he'll be back next season, but did clarify he would not play anywhere else. So at least Bruins fans don't have to worry, you know, about, about that happening. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of it. I could definitely see um, him wanting to, to make another push for it. Obviously, Marchant is still going to be around, so um, he'll still have his, his running mate there. Uh, it could depend on what they do in the offseason. He may just take some time, think about it, see what they do as far as re-signing guys, adding guys, that sort of thing, and then and then go from there. But um, it would definitely be weird to see the Boston Bruins without him at center. Um, but, you know, it it is coming sooner rather than later. Uh, that That is for sure. Yeah. And uh, in terms of breaking down this series, AJ, I think it was just Carol- Carolina just having – a little bit too much for Boston at the end of the day in terms of the, the breadth of their offense and the, how stout their defense played. They got a great series out of Tony D'Angelo, and I thought that was a key difference in the outcome. He had an eight-point set in terms of what he contributed offensively, but he was a stud uh, on their power play, picking up four points. That was a factor in this series and uh, played o- over 20 minutes a night alongside Jacob Slavin was another guy that played a ton in the series. 23 game minutes per game was his average. So it was a couple of defensemen that actually led the scoring for, for Carolina, which was a bit of a surprise for me. And I think that uh, they can count on their, uh, their offense to deliver more. They, they got a surprise contribution from Max Domi uh, that we didn't see coming. He got the pivotal goals that won the series in the final game. And, uh, but uh, all the usual suspects did show up with at least five points, four points for Nita Ryder, five for Ajo, five for Seth Jarvis, Domi mentioned with five, Teravina with seven, and Trocek with seven. So the, the big guns did shoot and score for Carolina. They're going to need more of the same going forward. The Bruins, they countered with what you would expect they countered. They're big boys, uh, Marchand, Bergeron, counting for seven goals between them. Charlie Coyle came up with a couple. Patrice Bergeron, uh, uh, David Pasternak with three goals. Uh, Jake DeBrusque with a couple, Taylor Hall with a couple as well. Beyond that, it was uh, bit players and role players chipping in a little bit, but not 
significant. So the theme uh, of these playoffs, though, it seems like in the first round, a lot of the big guns did deliver, but there wasn't a lot of depth scoring from the bottom six players on any team, really, in the first round, AJ. And that was a telltale sign in this set for the Bruins, as we expected it might be. And uh, good for them, I think, for extending it to seven games. I didn't think that they they had it in them to go that far. But uh, as I know better than anybody, killing the Bruins snake is, is a hard deal. And Carolina should get a lot of credit for getting it done. And now the last series that we'll talk about, one that's painful for you, but I got to tell you, AJ, the, the deck was stacked against Pittsburgh when, when I realized that they weren't going to have their starting goalie in place. They had some injuries up front, and uh, I think they, they performed heroically in this set. You should be very proud of your team uh, for extending the Rangers to seven games. You saw it coming. You called the Rangers in six. I thought it would be even shorter than that in five, but uh, – Boy, the leadership that they have there in Crosby and Malcolm is the envy of, of almost every team in the league. These guys just, they lead by example. They're warriors, and they showed it once again. So I, I repeat, I would be very proud of this team if I were you. That's one way to look at it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, admittedly, uh, I, I tweeted this out a couple times. You know, the Penguins had a 2-0 lead in game five. <clears throat> with the ability to close it out and clinch, uh, moving on. And then Crosby got hurt. Um, and, and it kind of spiraled out there. Then game six, they had a 2-0 lead in that one as well. Weren't able to close it out. Uh, Jari comes back for game seven, you know, played played really well for a guy that had been out with a foot injury um, that probably wasn't 100% healed. I mean, there's no way that that foot was 100%. You know, that that last goal in in Game Six that Domingue let in was disappointing at best. Um, so yeah, I, I I can see your your analysis on it, Paul. That I should be proud of my team, but uh, it also feels like uh, the end of the of an era here. In that, I will be surprised if Latang uh, is back. Specifically, I, I just don't see Malkin not coming back. Um, obviously Crosby is, is signed for longer, but they've also got, you know, Brian Rust, uh, potentially needing a new, a new, or not potentially also needing a new deal here. So, um, it leads into a very questionable off season as to, you know, what, what they're going to do, where they go from here. I think if they win this series and then lose, maybe you keep the core together, um, you know, obviously, if you go even further than that, you keep them together. But with another first round exit for the Penguins, which is three in a row for them, I believe, uh, even though they made a significantly better showing of this one than in previous years, uh, it, it may be the end of the the band being together here. And and I think Chris Letang is the most likely player uh, to walk out the door. Well, AJ, that puts a bit of a bow on the first round. You and I did fairly well with our picks. I had seven wins and one loss with one series where I got the exact number of games correct. You had six wins and two losses, but you got two series with the exact number of wins. So pretty much a wash. Including the one that you lost, too. Yes. Well, I got one that you lost, and uh, you got one that I lost. So uh, that's that's fair, I guess. But uh in any case, uh, I think we acquitted ourselves well, and we're going to hope to to bring you a, a very accurate assessment of the next four series from the second round. We're going to do that, though, after we take this break. We'll be back with our look at the matchups in the next round uh, before we sign off on the second round play, which begins tonight. So stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages 
reminder for how our listeners can stay in touch with us with also be forthcoming as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we are back, and AJ, before we get into this... The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com second round previews please remind our listeners how they can stay in touch with us during the course of the playoffs we're not going to be as regular as once a week but in terms of our shows but we'll be back when the third round gets underway in the meantime how can our our loyal followers stay in touch with us yeah absolutely so if you want to interact with us talk about games uh see what we have to say about these games although paul's gone completely silent on social media since the leafs lost uh, even skipping our DraftKings show just paul couldn't handle it um but if you want to interact with us the best way to, to do that is over on twitter you can follow me at aj shoals 24 you can follow paul at statsman 22 if you want to check out this show live and in living color um, you can do that via the Rotowire Facebook page, the Rotowire main Twitter account. We'll share that out when we have this. And then, of course, the Rotowire NHL account will also have this. Um, if you want to circle back and rewatch anything, uh, this will be available on the Rotowire Twitter account and Facebook page um, for, for longer than, than that. So, plenty of opportunities to see us live and in person. If you are, Watching it live uh, either now or in the future, you can comment on the Facebook page there and we would get your questions and be able to answer those uh, live for you as well. So we're definitely willing to do that if anybody wants to head over there uh, as well. In my defense, I'm going to say that I've been battling a flu bug, AJ. So that's kind of why I was laying low, but I'll be back on the DraftKings lineup tomorrow. Day to day, due to illness, Bruno. That's out. <laughs> so I will be in the practice lineup later today, and I should be good to go tomorrow for those people that like uh, listening to me on the DraftKings show alongside AJ. We'll look forward to seeing what what's in store for the next round, which begins tonight. And with that, my friend, let's take a look at this series, uh, the series that we see before us, and start breaking them down the same way that we did in, in previous uh, the previous round. We took talk about the head-to-head record. Talk about the net special teams, break down the goalie matchups, the defense pairings, the forwards, power play units, and then our ultimate calls for the series going forward. So with that, we'll start with the Battle of Florida. Tampa and Florida meeting in the playoffs should be a very exciting uh, round. The season series was a head-to-head split, two game, two wins each, and a couple of lopsided scores, one for each t- team in this whole set, accounting for the rather high goal scoring that we saw. 19 for Florida, 15 for Tampa over those four games. So I think betting the over might be the way to go based on that uh, form chart. And uh, special teams also uh, look forward to bringing a lot of offense to the table when you consider Florida's net power play was 21.4%. Their net PK was 84%. That's a combination of over well, well over 100, and that's also always a good sign. But Tampa's right there too with a 222 and 83.3 respectively. So you can expect a lot of offense in this series, I think, particularly as I don't believe uh, Andrei Veskalevsky is at the top of his game, and I, I don't have the faith that Sergei Bobrovsky can deliver the goods against that high-octane offense that he's going to face in the series. So I think we're going to see a lot of goal scoring, AJ. And that's my quick thumbtail on the goalie situation. Why don't you give us your thoughts there and then lead us into the defense pairings? 
Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Vasilevsky's been at his best. I mean, that's evident. You look at a, a sub 900 save percentage, 3.04 is the goals against average. But I will say he's not the first goaltender to be shellacked by the Leafs, uh, you know, offensively during the course of the season. So those numbers I would expect to improve facing the Panthers offense, which is certainly capable, um, but I don't think they're quite at the same level or same caliber as, as what we saw in the Leafs offense in terms of what the blue line looks like for them. It's, you know, the big name is obviously Victor Hedman for, for the, uh, the lightning there. He'll be, you know, kind of your, your most important guy for them to produce um, the rest of their lineup is not, you know, not flashy uh, in terms of what they, they have offensively. Hedman had seven points in seven games to start the series uh, and a, a pretty good drop off after that. You know, they they have some guys um, that could play bigger roles, I think. Um, but even, you know, Cal Foot, Ryan McDonough, not necessarily the guys that you expect offensive contributions from. You maybe want a little more out of Mikhail Sergachev, just two points in that first round Um, on the other side for Florida, a little bit similar. Um, You know, they, they have a a little bit more, I would say, but Aaron Ekblad will be their main piece, five points in six games. Gustav Forsling, Brandon Montour, again, maybe a little bit more out of Montour, just two points in, in six games for him, but basically, you know, structured really pretty much the same one kind of big offensive piece that'll be on their power play, quarterbacking that unit will lead most of the defensive scoring by a pretty wide margin. And then just hoping anybody else after that can chip in. Yeah. You know what? I'm looking for uh, the, a couple of guys from Tampa to take a, a step up and be more noticeable offensively. Ryan McDonough is a guy that used to do this on a regular basis for the Rangers. But of course that job as the number one guy really uh, is in both hands held very tightly by Victor Hedman. He was outstanding in, in round number one. But I expect Ryan McDonough's game to to take a, a bit of a step uh, forward now. And Mikhail Sergachev is a guy that really has the spotlight on him. I expected much more from him than what I saw in the first round. He was very, largely ineffective. He was on the wrong end of hits a lot of the time and didn't really factor into the offense, as you suggested. I, I think it's time for this youngster to take a step and show that he can be uh, at least Victor Hedman light uh, in, in terms of what he can contribute to, to the offense. Might be running the second power play a little more effectively. They didn't get much out of that unit at all. And so I think there's three options there on the blue line that they look for, uh, two of them to improve on what they did in the first round and get more of the same from Hedman going forward. And then it's baggage smashers like Foot and Cernak doing what they need to do to, to keep the front of the net clear for their goalie. On the Florida side, they got what they we expected them to get. Aaron Ekblad had uh, delivered more than I thought he would coming back from an injury, AJ. But uh, Gustav Forsling, Brandon Montour, they've been very serviceable in terms of being around the offense for this club. Rad Kokudis and Ben Chirot, tough, tough players to play against. So they've got a little something, uh, a little bit of everything that, that you want in a defense corps. And uh, it bodes well for them that they have a couple of experienced hands in the in the. Uh, in the press box should any injuries come their way. But uh, so far they look like they're, they'll be healthy in that unit. And uh, I think, I think it's almost a wash in terms of what I see on the blue line in terms of the best player though. I think Hedman is a notch ahead of Aaron Eckblad. So maybe 51 to 49% is the way I'll rate the, the defense groups there. 
What about the forward ranks, AJ? I'm going to take us through Florida, and I'll get you to do the Tampa side. Carter Verhage had an outstanding series for them, and he's really formed an outstanding partnership with with Alexander Barkov, and it found a home with the two of those two of those guys alongside Claude Giroux, a very formidable uh, forward line. You wonder if Giroux is going to like it enough to come back here next year and be a part of this mix, but. If I was him, I'd certainly want to run it back on this club. And uh, second line, Jonathan Huberdeau, he was a little quieter than uh, he was in the regular season offensively. But uh, alongside Sam Bennett and Anthony Duclair, that's a rock-solid second line as well. And uh, third line uh, features Sam Reinhardt, probably the top-scoring threat there. Anton Lundell developed himself into a tough two-way player. And no other charity, no stranger to the rigors of the playoffs. Keeping an eye on Ryan Lomberg. He's a bit of a friend of the family here in, in uh, Richmond Hill. Uh, grew up in my daughter's grade uh, through school. And uh, he is a fourth-line player that I'll be keeping an eye on. Patrick Hornquist, another fourth guy, fourth line guy who's got a long history in the playoffs and and could be one of those guys that comes up with a key goal at some point for the Panthers in this set. They're going to need him to play uh, a tough physical role against the the group that Tampa's going to throw out on the fourth line as well. On the other side for the Lightning in terms of the forward complement, um, you know the big question mark is is Braden Point. Um, going to miss game one, won't be available for that. Um, so, the, you know, how do they shuffle around from there? Right now, looks like Nick Paul will move to the middle. Um, Alex Kalor and Andre Pilat will be on the second line with him. And then Anthony Sorelli moves up to the first line to play with Stamkos and Kucherov. So um, if that works out for them, if they're able to get by, Nick Paul is going to be just the next in this kind of series of, seemingly you know kind of mid-range guy middle six guys that they pick up at the deadline very similar to Blake Coleman who was a a factor for them Brandon Hagel has also picked up four points he was another guy that they brought in um, at the the deadline here and and somebody that I I don't think a lot of people even thought was available on the on the market here he'll kind of center or uh, he'll anchor that that third line alongside Ross Colton and Riley Nash and then just a very gritty fourth line, uh, Patrick Maroon, uh, Belmar, and, and Corey Perry. That's a, a veteran group that is certainly capable of, of um, producing when, when needed. I wouldn't expect big numbers out of any of those guys, but they will do their job defensively and, and give you know those top three lines the opportunity to get off the ice a little bit. So I, I love the makeup of this club. Obviously not having Braden Point for any length of time is not going to improve uh, your team, they'll obviously be hoping they can get him back as quickly uh, as game two. Um, but with just, you know, with him out for game one, we'll get, uh, you know, I think uh, more of a look at a guy like Nick Paul and and see if he can continue to produce at the level that he already has or even step up further. AJ, in terms of the way I look at this series, ultimately breaking down, I think that uh, Florida is a team that's on the uptick. Tampa may be slightly on the downturn. Tampa's not lost a playoff series, though, in their last nine series. So I'm not going to sell them short, but I am going to say that I think they're going to have their hands full and they don't have home ice advantage against their cross-state rivals in Florida. The Florida Panthers getting much more fan support than I'm used to seeing as well. So uh, I think things are pointing in the direction of the Panthers to, to uh, take a bite out of the defending champs and finally unseat them. In, in that role and we'll have a new Stanley Cup champion if I got this right 
I'm picking Florida to win this series in six games. Well, Paul, I have continuously ridden the line of until I see otherwise, I'm going to bet on the lightning. In fact, if you are uh, into sports betting, you can get some pretty good value at the sports sports book of your choice to get plus value on the lightning to win this series. I'm going to stick with that. There's no reason to doubt them at this point. I, you know, like I said, I think they look a little bit tired. I love their, their forward depth. Hedman is great. And and Vasilevsky, I think has another level that he can get to in his game. So I will take the bolts in seven here. Look, just one, one series in, we're already disagreeing. Let's see what the the other three bring here. It bodes well. The New York Rangers against Carolina Hurricanes head to head this season. Carolina won this series three games to one. They outscored the Rangers 14 to 10. Special teams also look good for both teams here. The Rangers 24.3 net power play, 85.8 net shorthanded, one of the better shorthanded clubs in the league. But look at the other side, Carolina. Their power play was fairly effective at 20.7 net, but their penalty killing was almost 90% net all season long. So uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see how those special teams look against one another. And uh, big key, I'll start again with the goaltending look. Freddie Anderson still not healthy for Carolina at this point. I wonder if we're going to see him in this series, AJ. I think we're going to need to see him in the series for Carolina to put their best foot forward. They've kind of got this far on the strength of the rest of their team. They got decent performances out of Antirenta in round one, but boy, oh boy, he's the second best goalie in this series by a long shot, I think. And I wonder what you know about the Freddie Anderson circumstance more than I do at this stage. It's very clouded in uncertainty. Well, the the issue is that they're not going to give any more information. They basically, uh, Rob Brindamore has basically said like, until he's on the ice, we don't have an update. And that, and that is just the stance that they're taking. So we have no real indication if Freddie Anderson uh, is going to be back in a month, uh, in two days, you know, when they're not giving any sort of update, if or when he'll get back on the ice. So really, that's all that we have to do um, is just wait and and see. If he takes the ice, then things become – a decision. So until then, it's it's going to be anti-Ranta for sure. And even once uh, Freddie Anderson does get back in action, there's no clear uh, timeline established as of now as to when he might supplant Ranta. You would imagine once healthy, he would, but there's no guarantee that you know he might have to practice for another week before he would even get in. So at this point, assume anti-Ranta is the starter un- until told otherwise. All right, let's break down the defense course. I'll start with the Rangers. I'll get you to respond with Carolina, AJ. Uh, in terms of the, the New York look, Adam Fox has continued to do what Adam Fox has done all season long, and that's represented both ends of the ice, had an outstanding season and a good first round as well. But Jacob Truba is a guy that's really elevated his game in the late stages of the season and had a very nice first round as well. So pretty good one-two punch there on the back end on the right side of the Rangers' blue line. And uh, keep an eye on the left side because I really like the the upside for Keandre Miller. He's a youngster who is uh, showing very well in flashes, and I think he's going to be a fixture on this blue line. They've got a really nice look with him and Ryan Lindgren out uh, rounding out the top four here. And then they've got a, a veteran in Justin Braun who anchors the third line, third pairing with youngster Braden Schneider, who is only 18, 19 years old, and fresh out of the draft at the end of last season. I I think this guy's a tr- got a tremendous upside to his future. 
And uh, coming along and getting a real good baptism here alongside a veteran like Braun is a very nice situation for him. The Rangers have a solid, solid defensive structure from the forwards through the defense and into the nets and and uh, good insulation for a guy like Braden Schneider to get his feet wet here. But uh, I, I think the, the Rangers have a very nice looking defensive core. Well, it's pretty good looking on on the other side as well with, with Carolina here. You mentioned off the top, D'Angelo and Slavin, both with eight points leading the way offensively for the Hurricanes. I, I haven't decided if that's because they're playing so well or if there's a concern here for the Hurricanes forwards that the defensemen are the guys producing. What's nice for Carolina, though, is that D'Angelo is getting his points on the power play four of eight coming with the man advantage while Slavin primarily producing five on five. So it's a really nice combination for them to have. And that figures to be pretty much the, the entire driver for their offense, at least from the, the blue line here. Brady Skay is, is capable, um, but hasn't really shown much right now. Brendan Smith, Ian Cole, those are more, uh, you know, kind of uh, defensively minded guys. Ethan Bear could be a factor as well. They might switch in and out, move some guys around if, if they need to. Um, Brett Pesci, pretty much un, unseen here, two points. Um, again, a guy that you maybe would expect a little bit more out of, you know, generally a, a 20 in between that like high teens, high 20s fantasy or point production during the year, you would expect a little bit more than just two points in seven games. But um, overall, I, th- I think the defensive core in Carolina looks really, really good. And AJ, why don't you uh, double down and then go get us to look at the Rangers forward lines and I'll take care of the Carolina offense. Yeah, I, I think the biggest X factor here for uh, the Rangers is going to be their young line of uh, Alexis Lafreniere, Philip Hedo and Capococco, they have just, their point totals aren't outrageous, but they are so skilled um, that I'm not sure that Carolina has a line that can match up with them super well. Um, And we saw this against the Penguins. They kind of go out, they create havoc using their speed. Again, not necessarily getting point production at, at a super high level, but it's not like they've been blanked either. They, they've been able to, to produce, um, offensively as well. So I, I think that could be the line that tips the tips the scales for them. Obviously, they're led by the Kreider, Zabinajad, and Vitrano line. Those guys are going to produce the most points for them. That that shouldn't come as any surprise. They have in the postseason, uh, Mika Zabinajad, 11 points. Chris Kreider, five goals for seven points. Getting good numbers out of that second line. Um, Panarin, and Cop both with six, Strom, or both with seven, rather, Strom with six. Uh, so they have two really good lines. So for me, the difference maker is that third line, ultimately, when you try and figure out how you're going to match up against it. And then, honestly, getting Tyler Mott back in the lineup um, seemed like a relatively minor addition, but he played in game six and seven. Uh, definitely a huge factor on the penalty kill dish out a, a lot of hits. And so I, I think that's maybe an under undersold addition to their, their team that they got him back from injury and he can be a huge factor on the PK. And then uh, I look at the Cal Carolina side, AJ, and they are uh, kind of the, the darlings of the, 
new wave of stats and puck possession. They, they get a lot of shots on goal with this group, but they've thrown their lines in a bit of a blender in the postseason. I, from what I expected it to see, uh, they've changed things up. They've start taken Teravainen off of Aho's line, and they've got Svechnikov in there. He did very well in that role down the stretch. And in the first round, Seth Jarvis filling in on that unit. Of uh, the second grouping, Victor, Vincent Trocek's the guy that I've had a lot of time for. People that listen to our show regularly realize that I, I'm a big fan of this guy's two-way game. Prototypical strong uh, puck mover on the second line that you like to see. And a pretty good place for Tara Vinen to land on his wing uh, as the trigger guy there. But Max Domi could uh, may be the wild card of this group if he can build on what he did in Game 7 and be representative in a top-six role. That could be a real nice bonus for Carolina and extend their offense to a bit of a different look. The third line over here, a critical one as well. You know better than anybody that Jordan Stahl can be an impact player at both ends of the ice and uh, ideally suited to a third-line role here, and he'll factor in 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 the shorthanded situations as well for this club. But he'll get the most out of line mates Jesper Fast and Nino Niederreiter as a as their defensive conscience, allowing these guys a chance to freewheel a little bit more offensively. And that could be a nice thing for Carolina and make this a surprisingly contribute, a strong contributing third line. And they also have the luxury of Martin Netzkatch, who's played top top three, uh, top forward line or top six minutes here all season long and moved up and down the roster. He's now relegated to a fourth line role alongside Jesper Kotkaniemi. So that's a luxury that this team has, that they can actually put two guys that are that are offensive threats out there on a fourth line and not hurt themselves defensively either. Stephen Lorenz rounds out that com- contingent. Jordan M- Martinuk, the only injured component among the forward ranks, and Derek Stepp on a bit of a, a role player there too who might see some time in place of Lorenz. I would think they would go for a veteran look on that fourth unit. So some options for Carolina, but uh, really if they're to do damage in this series, it's their offense that's going to have to win this matchup outright against the New York Rangers, in my opinion. AJ, when you look at this series, how do you break it down? I mean, you are obviously got a real good look at the Rangers in the last series, but uh, I think I think uh, they have an edge in the nets. They have an edge maybe uh, in terms of the defensive structure, but I think I give a slight edge to Carolina's offense here. How do you see this playing out? I mean, I, I think I got to give the edge to the Rangers overall. Um, you know, Antti Ranta had a really good, uh, really good series, but I, I just don't have faith that that's going to hold. Um, eventually, somebody's going to get to him. Uh, you know, he's in, in my opinion, at least, he's, he's not an every night starter, um, and, and eventually they're going to going to be able to get some goals there. Shesterkin appears to have bounced back after getting the hook. In, in two of those games against the Penguins. So uh, I've got the Rangers in seven here. I, I think it'll be a close, tight series, um, but I, I do think the, the Rangers can come out on top. Yeah, I think the goaltending is the big deciding factor for me too, and I think Shesterkin's worth a game for them in this set, and that's why I only go a little bit shorter than you and say the Rangers in six, and uh, I think that uh, they are going to be a scary team as long as they got Shesterkin playing He's got to play better than he did against the the, the Penguins, though. I'll say that. And and I think he finds his groove in this set and uh, is a difference maker against Ranta. I don't expect that we'll see uh, Freddie Anderson in, in this series unless it's very late stages and a change in momentum circumstance arises. But uh, I just think that the Rangers have a little bit too much going for them right now. 
And, uh, boy, it's pretty exciting watching games at Madison Square Garden when the home team is playing well. I think that's a really nice atmosphere that's back in the playoff mix, and, and uh, I like seeing it. i got to say that. St. Louis and Colorado, this is a rematch from what we saw last year, AJ. And I remember that I thought that Colorado would have a tough time with the Blues last year, and I, I didn't think that St. Louis was the favorite or anything like that. And uh, the season series this year was a tight one between the two teams. It was Colorado winning two of the three games. St. Louis was outscored by only one goal in the in the four, in the three games. Special teams was also something where St. Louis had a bit of an edge uh, on Colorado in, on the season. When you look at it, it might be a surprise to our listeners when you consider the net power play for St. Louis was 24.9%. The net power play for Colorado, 22.2%. The net PK also in favor of St. Louis, 88.2 and 82.2 for Colorado. Something of surprise, I would I would admit, uh, across the board there. So St. Louis is going to be a tough out, I think, but I still lean in favor of Colorado. I think that's, that's pretty much the consensus in the industry. But, uh, boy, I've been touting this team as a tough out in the last five, six weeks of the regular season. They had an outstanding first round. I'm not thinking. I'm thinking Colorado is not too thrilled about having to face this team with this playoff-hardened pedigree in this round. But it'll be a good challenge. Colorado has to be feeling good about their game, and uh, I think they should be favored, favored significantly. But when you look at the goaltending mix, AJ, the fact that Jordan Binnington, Binnington has rediscovered his game does that throw a bit of a kink in your analysis in terms of the goalie matchup against uh, Darcy Kemper? It does not. <laughs> to, to be blunt, it does not. Um, I think Kemper has the edge. Uh, you know, he missed those couple of games for after that scary uh, eye, eye injury. But before that, 9-3-4 was the save percentage. 1.63 was the goals against average. He was playing really well. And to be frank, better than he even needs to. Um, with the offense in front of him, this is not a guy that needs to be perfect. I think as long as that goals against average hangs right around two, he should be fine. Anything better than that is just bonus here. Um, And, you know, to your point, uh, Paul Bennington came in, looks pretty good um, in the three games that he played. Nine, four, three was that save percentage again. So, um, you know, Going to be the the starter, we assume, for for game one, of course. Why would you take a guy out on a three-game winning streak? And I think he's probably even earned himself some leeway if he does lose a game or two. Uh, I would be surprised. Unless he comes out and just got absolutely, like, shellacked, I would guess that they'll probably use him for a little bit um, and hold off on Huso. But I I think it's pretty clear to me that that this matchup favors, in terms of the goaltending matchup, favors Colorado and and Darcy Kemper. Yeah, and I'll take us into a look on the defense on St. Louis side, AJ, because there's a couple of injury notes that make this a bit of a mismatch uh, where it could otherwise be a very tight matchup. Tory Krug missed the last few games of of the last series, and he's looking like he's not going to start in round two either. He needs a bit of rehab to get get well and not close to starting is what we're looking at right now. Ditto for Mar- Marco Scandella. So missing two pieces uh, on, on their six pack on defense, uh, a real issue for the blues. You need all your best players to be going to really kind of almost hope to level the field in, in what might've been an area area of uh, equality between the two teams, but that puts more pressure on the remaining blues players. And a trio of them are guys that are really the focus here. The veterans 
uh, on the back end that have the offensive upside. I'm talking about Nick Letty, Colton Pareko, and Justin Falk. Falk had a very nice second half to the season, a very good first round, and he's going to need to be heroic in this round to kind of narrow that gap between what St. Louis will trot out there offensively and in a two-way game and on the special teams against what Colorado does on a nightly basis. We talked about their studs, and you'll get into them in a second here, AJ, but real pressure on these three guys to deliver the goods in St. Louis and kind of narrow that gap between what Colorado will throw out and they round out their squad with the likes of Callie Rosen, Nico Mikola, and Robert Bertuzzo, uh, guys that are more noted for the defensive side of the puck and bringing some physicality there. So real pressure on the St. Louis decor, missing those two two key pieces is the storyline for me. Well, I, I agree that that's, that's certainly a factor and, and makes this skew heavier in Colorado's favor, but even if Tory Krug's playing, the best defenseman in this matchup is on Colorado in Kale McCarr. And really, you know, Devin Taves, who we talked about earlier, has looked really good as well. Um, when you have a team that's got guys like Landis Gog, McKinnon, and Rantanen, to have McCarr and Taves in your top five scorers during a playoff series is a, a pretty nice spot to be in. You know, they have a couple other guys in – uh, Sam Garrard can contribute offensively uh, when needed. He's got two assists. Eric Johnson actually picked up a trio of assists. That's a, that's a bonus spot. He's not somebody you generally would expect to produce a lot offensively. Um, Josh Manson, Bowen Byron will round out the group. Both of them, Byron uh, uh, especially, have some offensive upside. So really a very offensively-minded group, but also defensively solid. Like nobody – um, you know, goes too far in, in that group, in, in my opinion. And if they need to, uh, I know he's been maligned in some other stops, but Jack Johnson is certainly capable of being a 15 to 18 minute guy. If you want a little bit more shutdown than what's being offered out there. Um, you know, he, he's somebody that can play and, and has a high caliber of, of game if needed. So um, I, I think it heavily skews in favor of Colorado with, um, with uh, Krug out, I think even with Krug playing, it still skews in favor of Colorado. This is just a position, such a strong position of strength for the abs here. Yeah, I would agree with you on that assessment, AJ. In terms of the four ranks, let me take us into a look on Colorado. Of course, we know the name recognition types here, McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog leading the way. Uh, they've got Landeskog lining up on a second-line unit, uh, they've mixed things up uh, to spread the wealth a little bit. And the beneficiary there has been Valerie Nachushkin. He's really taken the next step in his development. We touched on it often during the course of the year. And he'll be the sneaky good value play in DFS if you're looking for that in the postseason alongside McKinnon and Rantanen. Rounding out the second line with Kadri and Landeskog on an effective second line is Arturi Lekkonen, a pickup in the, at the trade deadline from Montreal. He's been fitting in like a glove here and uh, really rounding out the top six in fine style. That affords them the luxury of dropping a guy like Andre Borukowski down to a third line and spreading the offense alongside J.D. Comfort and Nicholas Albe-Kubel, who you know a little bit about uh, with his time in Pittsburgh and other stops before he came in Colorado. He was a Knicks. flyer, not a penguin. I don't want anything to do with that bum. Okay, very good. <laughs> I had the right state, state of Pennsylvania. Anyway, uh, the are three forward lines, credible offensive pieces there, and they've even got some threats on the fourth line when you consider Nico Sturm, Logan O'Connor, and Darren Helm for kind of transition-type play. 
And so really a lot of depth and, and quality in the top six for sure. And even a wild card performer like Andre Burakowski could be a very big difference maker for Colorado's offense here. What will they face when you're talking about the depth on the St. Louis side? Well, I mean, from a high level, nothing says lack of confidence in your forwards when you're skating seven defensemen, even when Krug and Scandella are out. Like you have arguably your best defenseman is out and you're still putting seven defensemen on the on the ice night after night. That doesn't speak too well about the depth uh, among your forward group. Top heavy is is the word I would use to describe them. Um, they got really good series. Uh, David Perron, five goals, Ryan O'Reilly, five goals, Tarasenko, five goals, those three guys doing their part. I would, I would even put Jordan Kyrou in that group. He had four points in their six games. Um, but then after that, you know, so you've got those four guys producing goals after that it's Pareko, Saad, Letty and Bozak each with one. Um, so not a particularly deep forward group. I think that's going to be a significant problem for all the reasons that you highlighted for Colorado, um, that their forward uh, complement was quality. It's a a one-trick pony, in my opinion, for the St. Louis Blues. They've got Perron, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko. Uh, A lot of that production is probably going to come from the power play. In fact, more than half of both Perron and O'Reilly's points came with the man advantage. Um, so they're heavily skewed that way as well. And and I just don't see them matching up well with Colorado. And that takes us to the predictions of the series. AJ, I'll start first. And I think uh, I'm picking Colorado. I'm going to give it six games only because I like the top three lines in St. Louis a lot. And, and I think they're going to give the Colorado club a bit of a handful in terms of the physical style of play. And I'll, I think they'll find a way to stay, steal one more game that you might expect. So taking Colorado in six, I don't think it'll be in a series that's in doubt, but uh, it'll be a little tougher than than the first round. I'm thinking. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see Colorado losing at home. Is really what what this comes down to for me. Um, so I'm just in, I'm envisioning them taking the first two at home. Uh, they'll steal one in in Colorado in in games uh, three and four and then seal it up in, in game five at home. So I've got the Avs uh, winning in, in five games here. And that takes us to the last series, one that is hotly anticipated north of the border here in Canada, AJ. We talk about the Battle of Alberta, maybe the signature matchup among Canadian teams that we can anticipate in the place in the playoffs when it comes along more than any other. Battle of Ontario, we haven't seen it for a while. And uh, (laughs) I didn't even realize that was a thing. Ottawa has been so bad for so long. Yeah, that's right. And the Leafs walked all over them when they did make the playoffs. The Leafs won all four series that they had head to head, but it's been a long time. So Calgary and and, uh, Edmonton head to head matchup. A lot of excitement here in Canada. And in the regular season, AJ, they uh, split the season series of four games, a couple of high scoring game victories for each side uh, in the set. The series was decided by one goal in terms of total goals. Calgary outscoring Edmonton 17 to 16. Uh, all of that implies that we could see a pretty close series. And again, there's no, not much to choose from in the special teams. Calgary's a net 21.6 on the power play, net 86.7, 86% on the PK. Edmonton 23.4, better, slightly better power play, but a slightly worse power uh, PK at 83.7. 
Break down the goalie mix, AJ. I know that you're going to speak glowingly of Mike Smith, who is uh, maybe the, narrowly the second best goalie in the series against Jacob Marta. <laughs> not, not even close. I mean, I, I, I will, uh, you know, I will give Mike Smith some credit. You look at save percentage in that seven game series. Nine three eight is pretty good. Two point two nine goals against average uh, is solid. So he he had a good series. There's no arguing that. Um, but Markstrom looked even better. Nine four three save percentage. One point five three the goals against average. Really, the only player that came close, I think, to matching him in the first round is the guy beat Jake Ottinger. Um, so for me, you know, Markstrom should be the the favorite between these two. Um, you factor in, you know, nine shutouts during the regular season that led the league. Um, so this is a guy certainly capable of, you know, quote unquote, stealing a game uh, if if needed. So I just think uh, Markstrom is, is playing, you know, some of the best hockey of his career. Mike Smith goes through these stretches, right? We'll, we'll have, I'll, I'll say something bad about him. He'll play good for a while. You'll give me crap about saying bad things about him. And then he'll start playing bad again, and I'll say, "Look, Mike Smith is not as good as as everybody wants him to be." So, we're we're in an upslope right now. We're in a Mike Smith upslope, um, but I do think the downturn will happen sooner rather than later. Um, and Markstrom has just been so good all year. AJ, let me take us through the Edmonton defense, and you can counter with the Calgary group. Uh, the Edmonton defense, not with the pedigree of Calgary, they're not playing with the defensive structure that the flame the Flames will trot out night in, night out. But there is some star quality here to watch for. Darnell Nurse may be the best player that the Oilers will throw out other than their first uh, top three forwards in this series. He's uh, elevated his game, and he's a very physical player. He's got offensive upside, but he's playing a little tougher defensively as well that I've noticed, and that bodes well for the Oilers. He's going to be a workhorse in this set, needs to play about upwards of 25 minutes a night, I think. Uh, because well, Paul, let, let, let me interject there. He needs to be on the ice. That's rule number one with Darnell Nurse. Maybe yeah. we avoid any more suspensions. That would probably right. help as well. No question about that at all. It's it's a key. I mean, we didn't mention that with Nazem Kadri. Kudos to him for staying active throughout the first series in Colorado as well. But uh, Nurse needs to be on the ice, needs to be active at both ends of the ice, uh, dominating for to help Edmonton's cause. Cody Cece picked up an important goal for them in the first round, but he's the foil for Nurse in terms of the maybe defensive conscience of that pairing. Duncan Keith insulating Evan Bouchard, who's taken a next step in his development. I like the fact that they've got uh, the defensive conscience of Keith alongside the youngster who's taken a next step in his development. And on the third pairing, we're kind of seeing the same thing where we have a freely wheeling offensive type in Dyson Berry and Brett Kulak, one of the big baggage smashers, the that Edmonton will throw out there and keep the front of their net clear and be kind of uh, alongside Mike Smith in, in the crease area, making it difficult for oncoming Edmonton forwards. Tyson Berry needs to needs to be a big factor here on the special teams as well. He's got that big shot on the power play, and maybe if he can be effective, he can spell Nurse and take away some of his ice time in that role and uh, afford him more of an opportunity to impact the game defensively. I think that's a key for Edmonton's makeup of their six-pack. They've got a seventh guy in Chris Russell who will be active and uh, maybe uh, in a fourth-line role offensively, uh, but more likely to be that seventh defenseman that they'll use uh, in this playoff series. Well, for the Flames, uh, you know, side of, side of the blue line here, number one is the health of Chris Tanev. 
He missed game seven uh, with an undisclosed injury. No real immediate news as to whether or not he'll be ready for the second game series or not. Um, not an offensive producer, but obviously a player that needs to be on the ice, plays big minutes for them on the year average, just north of, of 20 during the regular season, played all 82 games. So this is a, a huge factor guy for Calgary. You know, the the lack of offensive production is kind of the story for this Calgary blue line. You've got Michael Stone leading the way with three points, and he only played in four games. Um, you know, Rasmus Anderson had two, Zadaroff two, Shillington, who's a player we talked about a lot during the regular season for his offensive upside, had just one. Noah Hannafin with just one. Um, so they're going to need somebody to step up. Uh, I don't know who that's going to be, to be totally honest with you. They can't have Michael Stone leading the the defensive scoring if, if they want to move on here. They're going to need to get a little bit more. I think they have a really strong forward group. We'll get into that here in a second. But ultimately, um, one of the keys, I think, for the Flames is figuring out who can produce from the blue line for them. Well, AJ, I want to take us into a discussion about the Edmonton forwards uh, here because there's something that I don't like about their setup right off the top offensively. Connor McDavid, we've said that he's had an outstanding first round of the playoffs. He doesn't need Leon Dreisaitl playing on his wing in, in the way he's going right now. I'd rather see Dreisaitl drive a second scoring line. That's no, no offense to Ryan Nugent Hopkins in that role. But I think you've got to split up the two big boys in Edmonton and give Calgary something more to worry about because they'll put their toughest checkers on those two guys, and then Edmonton's going to have a bit of a problem. So I'd like to see them switch things up from what we're seeing here. But at the moment, it looks like Dreisaitl's lining up as a left winger on that top unit, and the main beneficiary there is Kyler Yamamoto, who's had a nice first round and, and looks like a very smart DFS value play as long as he's playing with the two big boys. But I'd like to see them shuffle that thing around. They have another three guys on the forward mix that will be a factor in the second scoring line or possibly moving one of them into the first line. Evander Kane, we mentioned how he had an outstanding first round, and uh, he's partnered with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman on that second unit. So that top six uh, looks very effective to me, but I'd like to see Dreisaitl in that second line center slot, AJ. What do you think about that before we move on to the rest of the Oilers' makeup? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I like that as well, in part because I think the the moving Ryan Nugent Hopkins to third line center could be a mashup issue for Calgary. Um, so I, I agree. I think you should probably break those guys up. If you want them to play together, they get plenty of time on the power play together. I don't know that they need to be playing together at five on five either. The one caveat I'll say is maybe it's, a way to kind of limit what they're asking Drysaddle to do because of that ankle injury. Um, so maybe that's a, a factor here. And we'll round out the, the look at the squad. You mentioned uh, Nugent Hopkins could drop down to a third line. Well, it'll depend on on uh, Drysaddle's wheels too, for sure, no question. But I just don't like him on the first line with McDavid. He can help a second line more than, than be the wingman on the on the captain's unit. Zach Cassian, Ryan McLeod, and Yassi Puliyarvi on the third line there. A uh, little bit lacking in terms of offensive upside, but there's certainly the physicality there with McLeod and Cassian could be a problem for, for Calgary. But it also points to a lack of depth for the Oilers, I think, as long as they go with this current makeup. And uh, the fourth, fourth line, Derek Ryan, Josh Archibald, just veteran pluggers, uh, placeholders alongside Derek Brassard, who might get a look there as well. 
and maybe Devon Shore gets a look as uh, in addition. But not much scoring from the bottom six here in Edmonton. So the top six guys really got to carry the mail here. And I think Calgary has a bit of an edge when you consider what they'll be throwing out offensively. Well, I, I think the makeup here for Calgary is pretty much similar in terms of being top-heavy here. You you look at a first line of Johnny Gaudreau, uh, Elias Lindholm, and Matthew Tuchuk, and that was the driver of their offense. You know, eight, six, and five points uh, across the board for those guys. They've got a second line of Backlund, um, you know, anchored by Backlund, uh, Tyler Toffoli, a little, a little bit underwhelming, I would say, uh, during – you know, during the playoffs here, just two points. The concern for me is the depth. And this is why I think you move Ryan Nugent Hopkins to that third line. The third line for the Flames, Kelly Yarncroft, Dylan Dubé, and Blake Coleman, a combined two assists and no goals um, in, in that first round series. Now, some of that, obviously, as we talked about, is due to Jake Ottinger and how well he played. Um, but it would be a major concern to me as a Flames fan that that third line is producing so poorly right now. And it's not like they have options. I mean, we're, we're talking about Edmonton, right? They can make a third line if they want to kind of move some guys around. They they have options here. I don't really know that Calgary has much of an option. Um, you know, you're not going to put Milan Lucic up there, Brad Ritchie, Trevor Lewis. None of those guys are going to move into a top six role. Um I don't know if Tyler Toffoli would be capable of carrying a line. He hasn't really been playing well lately, and you'd be foolish to break up that top line. So I just don't know that Calgary has options here. Um, not that I don't like their first line, but that third line is a matchup problem if Edmonton figures out that aspect and gets you know breaks up Drysaddle and uh, McDavid. AJ, this this series will come down to physicality for me. Uh, I mentioned that that uh, McDavid's playing a, like a man possessed. If they can find a way to slow him down and get him involved in this, their preferred grinding style of play, I think that's a big ad- advantage for Calgary. But it's getting him into that lane that's going to be a real challenge for the Flames because he's elevated his game so much. I still think Calgary has a little bit too much in the net and on defense for the Oilers in this set. And I'm going to give the Cowtowners the advantage in the series in a six-game series, but... Can't wait to see it unfold. And I wonder what you think about the, the matchup overall. Well, I do think this is the most exciting matchup of the four. It's the one that I'm most intrigued to watch. Um, it's it's going to get chippy. It's going to get uh, aggressive. And, and it's going to be a lot of fun here. Um, for me, I think it comes down to you've got the unmovable object in Jacob Markstrom against the unstoppable force of McDavid and Dreisaitl. And that's going to be the key to this one is, is how well can Markstrom stymie those two guys? Um, If he can limit how many points they produce, he's got enough offense behind him to come out on top. I expect a seven game series that'll go the distance here, but I do have Calgary coming out on top in that game seven. So we have agreed on three of the four sets. The only one we disagree on is Florida and Tampa. Let's see. Well, I'll be curious to see how that goes, partner. But uh, we conclude our look at the second round today, and we'll watch with great interest over the next couple of weeks. And we'll be back with our listeners for round three and with any other news stories that come out. We're, talk, we're probably going to talk about coaching changes and, and off-ice stuff, maybe some trophy news between now and then. Uh, 
I'll close with one one topic, AJ, in terms of one of the coaching moves that we saw. Pete DeBoer lost his job in Vegas, and uh, I can't say that was a bit of a surprise to me at all. I didn't think he was a very good pick there in the first place, I'll say that, because he was almost the enemy of the state there with with the previous team that he was with. And I know there's people that have been very vocal of that hiring and, and just as vocal about the firing. So your thought on the DeBoer situation before we sign off this week? Yeah, I was confused why he was hired, uh, as you were. Um, you know, I, it, honestly, it felt like a slap in the face to the previous coach that had called DeBoer a clown. Um, I think it was Gerard Gallant of the Rangers yeah. called uh, called DeBoer a clown, and then you fire Gallant and bring in DeBoer on the back of what? Like, it's not like the Sharks had, had looked really good the season before. Um, I didn't care for the hiring. Now, look, I am one that always, always advocates for new faces, new coaches coming in. I I don't like the recycled coaches. Having said that, if they could bring in Barry Trotz, I think that would be a fantastic hiring by them. I did not uh, think that him getting let go in Long Island made a ton of sense. They are doing what I always advocate for. Lane Lambert going to get the job there. Uh, on Long Island. So I, I like the hire there. If you were going to get rid of trots, I'm not sure getting rid of trots was the right choice though. So in the rare circumstance, I would like, you know, if I'm a Vegas fan, I think it would be a good move to go out and get Barry trots. Well, and I'm hoping that he comes to Toronto. I'm looking for a change here in the coaching ranks, AJ. So that makes Barry trots one of the more sought after free agents that we'll be talking about this summer remains a secret. Be seeing how that unfolds, but uh, on a, a native, if I'm not mistaken, a native of Winnipeg, um, the Jets have an open coaching opportunity there as well. So he could coach in his hometown, if if I'm not mistaken. I believe Barry Trotz from the Winnipeg area. I believe you are correct, sir. And uh, there's been plenty of news and rumors that we'll talk about off the ice as well as our look at the third round. I'm looking forward to that. So we just gave you a taste of it and a fine place to wrap it up. Our we we uh, series one preview, series two. Series 1 review, Series 2 preview, I should say. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments, your questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJShows24. As always, we invite you to listen in to Podcast to get our tips, stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey and planning and research. Stay well and enjoy the second round, everybody. (laughs) 